Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we got a not very nice review on iTunes recently. Usually we get very lovely on, reviews, which is, but it's fine. <laughs> we don't mind the constructive it's criticism. It's kind of a funny one. Well, this one's funny, pretty but funny. Like, bizarre. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Normally they're constructive, like... Paper shuffling, you know, get tablets, ladies, one of them said. And there was another one that If was. you'd like to send us tablets, by the way, <laughs> all about it. I will gladly take your iPad. I think our new production assistant is going to be in, <laughs> in charge of that, which <laughs> you can see on our feed. Um, we got one that said, they're not horrible, which I hey. which I enjoy. I think that's a good pick-me-up. You should try that at home if you're ever feeling like you have a bad day. Just think, I'm not horrible. I kind of want to know... If Donald Trump was going to come up with an insult for us, what it would be. And I mentioned this because today he tweeted an insult at friend of the show, Chuck Todd, and oh, called great. him Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd. And I was oh, like, <laughs> I want to know where he gets these. Where did these come from? I don't know. Like what? So, okay, if Donald Trump, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not, but if you are, I kind of want to know what your insult for us would be. <laughs> I know. Otherwise, we'll have to resort to that Trump insult We're not generator. No. What We're not biased. Hmm. I don't know. Well, maybe the Bago, <laughs> who wrote our recent review on iTunes, is Donald Trump's sock puppet somehow. Because the Bago, he or she wrote propaganda advertising, avoid, and the title of their review, his or her review, is this is a joke, right? <laughs> like advertising. It, it, I wish if we had advertising, we'd be getting paid to do this. That's right. We're just doing this out of the goodness of our heart. And we are not subjecting y'all to advertisements. Exactly. And propaganda for what? Like for, you know, moderate, centrist, (laughs) balanced debate. (laughs) That's our propaganda. Anyway, um, so today we hear you, the Bago. We actually are going to promote some of our work. I am going to promote things today. So we are both doing that. So this is for you, the Bago, if you're out there. Maybe maybe you've moved on to some place where that's advertising and propaganda free out there in the political talkosphere. The only propaganda that the world has to worry about me promoting right now is is the propaganda of this whole KonMari cleaning system. Because I told you. I am so in the cult now. Yeah. It's I am, good stuff. I am in. My bathroom is amazing. I am just mowing through my belongings. Yeah. it's the, You can really get I'm through. never spending money again. That's that'll be hard, but it's a go well, through. <laughs> Good luck. That'll be that's a worthy goal. But did you do see what I where I wasn't with her is where she had you like fold your socks in some kind of really oh, delicate yeah, so way. I'm doing, that that I'm not gonna do. Uh yeah, I think I'm gonna try it. So I did fold all of my stuff 
like my sweaters and things vertically and put them in drawers. And it looks pretty cool. And I get logically why that makes sense. The whole sock thing, I'm going to try it just because I'm like, I'm going to give, I'm going to like give this the yeah. real full try. But I'm not sure that, as she writes in the book, that my socks are actually sad about being balled up. <laughs> like, she has a very kind of Toy Story view yes, of exactly. your possessions. Yes. Like, you leave the house and they have, like, feelings and things. Right. Which might be true. Right. In which case, actually, then her whole system is really, really, really cool. awful. Because it's like, oh, your belongings all have feelings and you should treat them well. <laughs> except, except, execute for, everything. except for the 70% <laughs> that you are literally sending to the dumpster to be in pain forever. Yeah. I digress. Anyhow, there's your propaganda. Yeah. Everybody I, needs to calm Mari their house. The last thing I have time <laughs> for is to consider the feelings of all of my half unused broken toys and socks and you know old handbags and things so uh, you know yeah that's where she loses me a little bit um so anyway the top lines clinton oh wait sorry you you do the top lines (laughs) top lines lines. Uh, hillary clinton remains ahead by about five points ahead of donald trump how would she fare in the alternate universe where say paul ryan or john Kasich was the republican nominee we'll take a look at polling about these alternate timelines then Trump's support may come from a lot of different places, but being uncomfortable with other ways of life seems to be a part of it for many. We'll look at polling about attitudes about race and culture and how those results break out by presidential preference. We'll also talk about some polling on congressional staffers. What do they think about their job security after the November election? And then we've just come out of Fourth of July. Are people proud to be an American? And finally, why I'm going to eat Sushi and wine as every meal for the rest of forever. I like that plan. All right. So let's talk about the poll of the week. So the poll of the week is some advertising. This is for you, the Bago. This is comes from PSB Research and Burse and Marsteller, our sister firm, done in conjunction with Time Magazine. And there's a huge deck on this, which we'll post the link to in the show notes, but it's on the future of work. Um, and it, last year, uh, PSB and Burson did a, uh, a poll on the on-demand economy, which I think we might have spoken about when, you know, folks who were members of the on-demand economy, they had done some sort of behavior. They had worked uh, as a, you know, part of the sharing or on-demand economy themselves. This time, the poll was of employers broken out by size of company. And it was interesting, and there's a lot to dig through, but we'll just touch on a couple highlights that a majority have used some sort of non-employee contingent workers, right? So this is not just looking at the Ubers of the world. This is any kind of company using sort of part-time independent contractors. And they're thinking about this pretty carefully. So, you know, uh, on the one hand, a lot of companies have used this. On the other hand, and they see these types of employees as helpful for uh, quickly adjusting to workforce as needed, saving money on benefits, allowing to hire for more specific skills. Um, You hire someone who's got a specific skill set. You can use them for a short period of time. On the other hand, there is some concern that some of these employees may be a little bit harder to retain, which have some other costs and you know other costs attached to it. So take a look at the full data. This was in the Aspen Ideas Festival, which we spoke about last week. A whole bunch of ideas that were presented at the Ideas Festival. So take a look, um, and that is our poll of the week. 
So let's move on to 2016. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Hillary Clinton right now, as of press time, according to the Huffington Post pollster models, has Clinton up over Trump 45.7 to 40.7. We also wanted to take a look at some polling from NBC News and our friends at SurveyMonkey. Um, They conducted some hypothetical ballot tests. They wanted to figure out um, if the candidates in this presidential election this November were Hillary Clinton, the Democrat, and Paul Ryan, the Republican, how would the election go? And in that ballot matchup, Paul Ryan actually wins by two points, um, 45 for Hillary Clinton, 47 for Paul Ryan, 9% giving no answer. And then the better matchup is actually John Kasich. Supposing that John Kasich was the Republican nominee, he would get 50% of the vote to Hillary Clinton's 42, with again 9% saying no answer. So yeah, this is uh, in an alternate universe. Somewhere out there, Republicans are in the lead for the White House. That's yeah. not this universe, though. No. I mean, it's amazing. And we're not going to dig too deep on the on the overall head-to-head. Because of the holiday, there weren't a lot of new polls in the last week. And, you know, it doesn't really show anything that different. It shows a race that is really, you know, in my view, disturbingly close. You know, if you look at the overall Clinton versus Trump, given all the – craziness behind Trump's candidacy and, you know, the fact that it's tighter with candidates not saddled with all the obvious baggage Trump has, I think makes it, you know, reflects the kind of you know, divided world that we live in. Obviously, Kasich and Ryan haven't had a full onslaught of this year presidential campaign, you know, attacks, even though they've both been in the public eye, doesn't mean that, you know, the regular voter is going to have, you know, heard and assimilated all that info. But still, this shows that Trump is vulnerable compared to the Republican brand overall. And so what does this mean for the convention? What does it mean for Republicans views about their candidate about what the establishment thinks what's next for Republicans? I mean, you had some thoughts in your latest examiner column. Oh, yes, I put my I put my sadness down in words like a like a moody high schooler writing bad poetry. (laughs) Except This was my column for the Washington Examiner this week. Um, You know, yesterday, so we're recording this on Wednesday. And on Tuesday, uh, you had James James Comey come out with his statement that they were not going to recommend criminal charges against Hillary Clinton for the email stuff, but certainly uh, had some harsh words for the handling of sensitive information and everything. And I saw so much chatter about how, gosh, if Republicans, if we were halfway competent or we had a halfway decent nominee, like we could, you know, swing at this pitch and hit a home run. And instead, like we're We've already in the last 24 hours, Donald Trump has praised Saddam Hussein, like, I mean, just, right, like, wasted opportunity from a politics standpoint. So my column was, in response to all of the folks, and I encountered a lot of folks out in in Aspen who had asked this question, which was, well, look, maybe Donald Trump's a disaster for Republicans, but surely then after this election – you know, if everything gets burnt down, then you can build something new. And won't this be this time when Republicans will get it finally? They'll get it through their heads that they have to change if they want to win the White House again. And won't everything be fine? And when I really thought about it, I was like, no, I I don't actually think that even a catastrophic loss by Donald Trump, which I think is perhaps possible um, in my, my column, my site, some of the data that came out last week from Stan Greenberg and the Democracy Corps folks where they did some battleground state polling and found that Donald Trump tends to trail by eight 
both in diverse battleground states, places like Florida, as well as Rust Belt battleground states like Ohio. Um, And that in that scenario, you're going to have this horrible loss, but there won't be any clarity about like, ah, this is what we should do moving forward. Because the never Trump faction of the Republican Party is not some unified force that all believes the same thing or all has the same problem with Donald Trump. You know, we've talked on the show a lot about how Donald Trump actually did pretty well with Republicans across the ideological spectrum, while those who didn't like Trump, you had like the more moderate folks who liked a Rubio or a Kasich, and you had the very conservative folks who liked a Ted Cruz type. And so those two factions are united right now in their frustration around Donald Trump, but they will each blame each other for making Trump happen. Why didn't your guy drop out earlier? Or even at a bigger level, your side is the one with all of the nasty extreme rhetoric and talk radio and blah, blah, blah. And so you guys created the conditions for Trump. No, you guys were the ones that wanted amnesty and bailouts and were in the pocket of K Street and didn't stand for anything. And so you created Trump. Like there's that's the fight that's going to happen. So get excited. That's where things are headed. This was column was me just like because I've spent so many years trying to fight to make the case for like, hey, Republicans, here's how you can stop losing. And I just I'm like, I'm so that I've just been fighting that fight for so long. And it's like I'm I finally come to peace with like, I don't actually think that November is like going to be this magic moment when, you know, like Daenerys Targaryen, I ride across the sea (laughs) and like save the burning kingdom of Westeros like. Or anybody who is interested in saving the GOP, like, nope, that's not going to happen. Yeah, haven't you guys seen Winter Kristen is coming, out on TV? Winter her tweets. How is much more coming? How much more <laughs> do you need to see to know that this was the wrong path? I mean, the other thing too is that the Never Trumpers, at least in my view, are more staff and not electeds. So, like a lot of the electeds, I guess the theory is, I don't know, I I, I don't know them, right? Is that they, um, if they came out and said. Like a Ben Sass, like, uh, sorry, this isn't working for me. He's all wrong. You know, like Lindsey Graham-ish, right? Just like being very, very clear. But even Lindsey Graham. I know, I know. I mean, that's... But at least he's on the record, you know, saying this is terrible. Supporting him is like drinking rat poison yeah, or something. right. And you have other folks who are just not... They're, they're, the way they are not endorsing him makes no sense, like Mitch McConnell or, or Paul Ryan. And so those folks, I guess they think that if Trump loses and they were out in front saying, no, I I find him unpalatable, they'll be blamed by the Republic, by Republican rank and file. And so if they you know, stay out of it in some, and walk the line somehow, then if he you know, loses, then it's like, well, you know, that's just a one-off because we had, you know, some, some, you know, cuckoo guy and now let's get back to our regular scheduled programming. I I guess that's the theory. But like, what is the the problem is what is regularly scheduled programming? (laughs) Like there is, there is no more regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Anyhow. We've been preempted. So by like all I said, all this is, I'm, I'm just like putting my emotions down in words. Well, there's a lot of emotional uh, polling out this week that we can talk yeah, about, talk too. About um, so PRRI and Brookings did a very comprehensive report. And you may remember that Robert Jones from PRRI was our very first guest on the pollsters anyway. So this is this really uh, incredible report had a lot in there. There was a little bit in the Atlantic, but we're going to link to the full report um, that shows that it's focused on immigration, but they had other things in there too, like views toward authority and culture. 
And it showed, it, for the most part, that Trump voters were farther to the right on a lot of these than Republicans overall. And so we'll give some examples. One question was, uh, it bothers me when I come in contact with immigrants who speak little or no English. Overall, Americans are evenly divided, 50, 49, agree, disagree. Um you won't be surprised to hear that there's a party difference on this. You know, two-thirds of Republicans say yes, a third say no. Trump voters over three-fourths say yes, for example. So that's that's one example. The values of Islam are at odds with American values and way of life. Um, th- that shows – It shows 57 percent agreeing. Um, yep. And then for this question, because they're specifically mentioning Islam, they also break it out by religious affiliation. And here you see that white evangelical Protestants by about, you know, a, again, that 74 to 23 margin um, think that Islam is at odds with American values and ways of life. Uh, even, you know, Hispanic Catholics, a majority say say yes to that question. Um, it's mostly those who are either unaffiliated or some religion that is not Christian. They're a majority say uh, no, they do not think that the values of Islam are at odds with the American way of life. Yeah. And then there are a few other questions, too, about um, for, so foreign influence and discrimination. The American way of life needs to be protected against foreign influence. So overall, you know, a, a fifth say they completely agree. Another third say mostly agree. A little over a quarter say mostly disagree. Just a fifth, un, under a fifth say completely disagree. But you have way more Trump voters saying that they agree. Almost half completely agree. Uh, Republicans, it's less. You know, there's a little bit less there in terms of intensity. Now, these differences aren't massive, but they but they are there. Um, uh, you also see... Uh, Well, uh, so then the other question that comes up is this question of race and something that Donald Trump has talked a lot about, you know, when he talks about uh, discrimination or or these things, you know, he'll talk a lot about how now, you know, basically that if you're a white man that you have become public enemy number one for a lot of folks. And so this other question they asked was – Today, discrimination against whites has become as big a problem as discrimination against blacks and other minorities. And Americans are pretty split on this, 49-49. For African-Americans, it's 29 percent say they agree, but 69 percent say they disagree, that they do not think that discrimination against whites is as big a problem. I'm kind of amazed that 29 percent agree, frankly. Yeah. Um, for Among Hispanics, it's 38% agree. Then you get to white non-Hispanic and it's 57%. And there's a divide there between working class and college educated, where working class is 66% agree. For white college educated, it's only 43%. This is the divide. If you hear you know, Ron Brown's team from The Atlantic talking about Trumpism, he often points to this college, non-college divide as a big uh, way of understanding Trump support. And you know that kind of shows up in this question a little bit where you have the views of the white working class being more in line with Trump's rhetoric on this issue. Right. So and then two more examples. So one is a question in general, how well do you think each of the following describes immigrants coming to the U.S. today, hardworking, have strong family values, keep mostly to themselves? You could say yes to all these things. Right. And Trump voters there are further extreme than Republicans overall. Two thirds of Trump voters say agree with the statement. They're, they increase crime in local communities. Um, they're more likely to disagree. Two thirds disagree. They make an effort to to learn English. Um, and then a, a similar question: Immigrants today strengthen our country because of their hard work and talents, or they're a burden on our country because they take jobs, housing, and health care. 
Republicans, uh, two thirds agree that with the burden statement, but among Trump supporters, it's 80 percent who agree with the Trump statement. So this is a clear pattern. It's something that. Um, oh, and, and one more piece, which we talked about a little bit last week, but then cut because <laughs> we were long um, and they had to and they reran it anyway is this Reuters poll that shows um, that Trump voters have far Really worse attitudes, uh, biased attitudes on race compared to Republican voters uh, who supported any of the other top candidates or Democratic voters who support either Clinton or Sanders. And these are just focused on African-Americans. And so the percentage of supporters that that view blacks as less intelligent than whites or as more lazy than whites or more rude than whites, you have Trump voters really far and away with the more extreme views than and any other candidates' supporters, um, you have almost half of Trump voters saying that they're more cr- blacks are more criminal than whites. You have almost half saying that blacks are more violent than whites. I mean, th- this is this is not a one-off. And in the context of what's happened this week, where you have folks talking about the tweet, the Jewish Star tweet, and People saying, oh, well, this is a mistake or it's a distraction or is it, in fact, actually part of the campaign, that these are not accidents, just cascading accidents that happen one on top of each other or part of the actual campaign? Um, and what does this mean for Republicans? What does it mean going forward? I mean, how? what does it mean for how we talk about this? Well, and one of the things that I think is important to point out is that these results, while while depressing, even sort of the most grim response, which is on this question about violence, where you have just under 50 percent of Trump supporters saying uh, they view blacks as more violent than whites. Um, So the fact that, you know, there are sizable numbers of any group of people saying this and for all of the presidential candidates, it's more than a quarter um, who hold this view, whether it's Bernie Sanders supporters all the way up to Donald Trump supporters, at least a quarter of people who support each presidential candidate hold this view. The important thing to keep perspective on, though, is, you know, people may be listening to this and are like, well, wait a minute. I'm a Trump supporter and I'm not a racist person. I'm a Trump supporter and I don't think that black people are less intelligent than white people or what have you. And again, you know, you could also look at this result and say, hey, a majority of Trump supporters don't say this. But the it's I mean, this is all in the world of polling. Everything we deal in is kind of probabilistic. Right. And so it's not saying that all Trump supporters hold these negative bad views, but certainly a disconcertingly high proportion of them do, and in a way that is not just simple accident. Right, right, exactly. And it's something that's worth discussing and exploring because it's very much a part of, you know, of how we talk about Trump's appeal um, and the language that he uses and also what language becomes acceptable for us to test, for us to talk about, uh, you know, on the news nightly and daily. Um, One thing that the PRRI Brookings study found not to be a difference between Trump supporters and Republicans overall is on this dimension of authoritarianism. And this is something we've spoken about before. This There was a Politico story by Matt McMillan. It was one of the most read things we ever posted on our Facebook page showing that Trump voters were more authoritarianism than authoritarian, sorry, than other 
uh, Republican candidates, voters. The Washington Post monkey cage did a different story that said, well, it's not authoritarian. It's other dimensions that distinguishes Trump supporters. experts, American identity. Exactly. American identity, anti-elitism, that you had Rubio voters who were not anti-elitist because that was where establishment voters were going. Cruz voters, even a little bit less anti-elitist than than Rubio voters. Um so it wasn't just authoritarianism. That, in fact, was something that was very consistent across Cruz and Rubio voters. So that, I suppose, is confirmed by the PRRI Brookings study. And just as a reminder of what that dimension is, it's not like, who do you prefer, Jimmy Carter or Mussolini? Like, it's not that, you know, it's not like that. It's, you know, what do you think is important for a kid to be respectful or independent or obedient or self-reliant, well-behaved or considerate? well-mannered or curious. So those are th- that's a little bit different, right? They're, those are things that are seen as predicting something. That's a dimension. That's a measure that, that researchers have come up with. It's not quite as, you know, despite the pejorative frame of authoritarian, that's not quite how I think the questions sound. The questions sound, well, you know, you do want kids to be obedient and well-behaved. Those are things you do want. So, um, so those are the kind, so just as a little background and context. So the next thing we want to talk about, speaking of this question of, you know, American identity or uh, affinity for America, um, you know, one of the things that I always talk about when I'm uh, you know, giving a talk about millennials is that Pew study from a couple months ago that showed something like only 40 percent of millennials or for, roughly 40 percent actually identifying themselves as millennials and the generation having a lot of tough things to say about themselves, including a, a pitifully small number saying they believe their own generation or the millennial generation is patriotic. Some fresh data coming out from Gallup seems to confirm that actually millennials are not particularly patriotic. Um, So they've asked this question, how proud are you to be an American? Extremely proud, very proud, moderately proud, only a little proud or not at all proud. Um, This number has stayed fairly stable um, since 2001. So I presume Gallup asked this question prior to September 11th um, in 2001, where they got a result of about 55 percent of Americans saying they were extremely proud. Um, After 9-11, those numbers went up pretty high. And so pretty much during the first portion of the Bush administration, you have 70 percent of people saying yes to that. The numbers drop pretty precipitously after Bush's reelection and get back to about 60s, high 50s. And nowadays, 52 percent of Americans, um, sort of the lowest in 15 years, saying that they are extremely proud. When you look at where the drop-off has occurred, the biggest drop-off has occurred among young people back in 2001. And again, younger people have sort of always been slightly less likely to say they're extremely proud. Back in 2001, it was 51 percent compared to older generations, which was 57 percent. Nowadays, it's 34 percent of people 18 to 29 say they are extremely proud to be American. This troubles me. This makes me sad. And I mean, not to, again, we're not a partisan show, not to get on my conservative soapbox. Um, On the one hand, it's I, I think a lot of this is about sort of what people are learning in schools. And on the one hand, I think it's very good that nowadays in curriculum we talk, you know, it's less like Christopher Columbus was awesome and American history has been so great, you know, that we're acknowledging that America has not been a perfect nation all along, that we have done things that are not perfect and that even to this day we as a nation do things that are not perfect. But that has now led to a culture where saying like, you know, I'm not proud of my country because, you know, we're 
terrible and we do all of these things, like that's become very common. And that makes me very sad. Right. Someone who is not from this country once told me that they found it kind of jarring to come to Washington and see, pe- you know, members of Congress or, you know, politicians on the floor on TV say America is the greatest country on earth. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> like, oh, I, oh, right. Okay. We do that more often. Right. So, I mean, there is something about that, that American exceptionalism, which isn't, this question doesn't quite get at this, but it still gets at it a little bit. And the fact that there's been such a big drop among younger folks that that could be something particular to this newer crop of younger folks, or it could be a trend that could carry on longitudinally. We don't know the answer to that. But one thing, I guess this is good news that Republicans, independents and Democrats have all dropped by basically the same amount over time. So that is one, I suppose, party unifying thing. Yeah, it's it's not about it's not really about race. In fact, so part of this, you know, I mean, you've got like the the really, you know, excellent book, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, that came out, you know, all about sort of the the history of America and race relations and how, you know, we can't sugarcoat the way that American history is just, you know, covered in in really terrible stories along these lines. Um, but it's actually white Americans who are seeing the biggest decline that you actually from uh, 2001 to 2016, you've had an increase of six points of non-whites saying that they are extremely proud to be an American, while for whites, it's been a drop of four points um, from that that sort of pre 9-11 figure. Right, right. So, you know, what does this all mean? Does this mean if you look at the context of people being worried about America, concerns about changing culture, the rise of Trump, the seemingly unlikelihood that he's going to be replaced by somebody else at the convention? I guess that's still TBD. You know, is there some what's the consequence of all this besides just, you know, the uh, you know, an unhappy electorate. And it could be, I mean, down ballot races, which we actually haven't spoken that much about. So folks out there, we know you're listening. If you have a Senate or congressional poll or governor's poll, gubernatorial poll that you want us to talk about that we haven't seen, send it to us because maybe it's time for us to start talking about that a little bit. But CQ Roll Call did a poll of insiders. So these were Republican staffers, Democratic staffers on the Hill, done in June, and they do this, it looks like monthly, and they're finding that an increasing number of both Democrats and Republicans feel that both the Senate and House are in play, or at least more in play than perhaps they were before. Now, Democrats are going to be more optimistic than Republicans, but the trend seems to be headed toward Democrats' way in both, although the House says the wording for the House is to make significant gains, which is different than taking over the, you know, change in hands. But the Senate question wording is whether or not the Democrats will take the Senate. 91% of Democrats say that, 51% of Republicans. Um, I don't know if that number can really get any higher for Democrats at this stage. And then uh, for the House making significant gains, 81% of Democratic staffers say that. They said 70% said it in May. 37 percent of Republicans say the same. You know, if you go back a couple just a couple months, it was just 28 percent of Republicans. So this does reflect some worry and folks, you know, talking about House and Senate races on both sides and and what Trump means for the map. Um, What are you hearing out there? Yeah, well, I mean, this. So first of all, you know, we like to talk about survey methodology on this show when prudent. And I think it is prudent to talk about it here because this is a really hard population to study. I've had lots of clients that have said, we want to study, 
you know, Capitol Hill insiders and things. It's very hard to do. I mean, even if you're someone that has a brand as well-known and trusted and established as something like a CQ um, or roll call, it's still, you know, the, the responses here, they got 96 Republican staffers and 124 Democratic staffers to take this survey. So, I mean, we don't know how many they contacted or what the response rate was. On the one hand, it's great that they got almost 100 people from each party over 100 people on the Democratic side to take this. That's pretty great. On the other hand, that's a, kind of a small number of people to draw huge conclusions about. But this is, I mean, kudos to them for, and they've done this study for a while, um, but this is one of those exercises in a really hard-to-reach population. Like, how, how do you study them? And everybody, it's just one that everybody wants. Like, everybody wants to study Hill staff, like, yeah. what are you going to do about this Hill staffer? Like, where, how would you like me to contact you about this Hill staffer? <laughs> right. But, and of course, you know, if I, as Echelon Insights, were to do a study along the same lines, you know, if you're a CQ or a roll call and you're a Hill staffer and you see that email come in, you trust them generally not to take your responses and say, oh, so-and-so in member so-and-so's office thinks that Republicans are going to lose the House. Like, you know, whereas if, if it's, Hey, an email from Kristen Soltis Anderson at Echelon Insights. I mean, even if it was a bipartisan study, you still have this level of trust where having an established brand makes it much easier to do a study like this. Yeah, but it it is, uh, and some offices also have rules about this too. So, but it's nonetheless that this work still gets done, so people still respond. But it is a very highly yeah. desirable target audience out there for sure. All right, last but not least, let's talk about food. Yeah, let's talk about food. Exactly. So first, before we talk about food, we had another fun summertime ladies grooming poll that was in the New York Times that everybody really loves, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about food. But if you <laughs> want to see Facebook it, go to our feed, page. Facebook page, our Twitter feed, and you can find all about it because it was very, very popular. We got lots of um, lots of people clicking on it. But this... <laughs> This was also popular. Internet never change. <laughs> never change. So the Upshot, our friends at the Upshot did a poll where they surveyed nutritionists and then they surveyed regular folks who eat and tried to and asked them, is this healthy or is this not healthy? And they had a whole bunch of things. And then they did this very cool chart where you could see on one axis is the percent of nutritionists saying it's healthy and the other axis is the percent of Americans. And then where this, you know, the, the X equals Y line, um, if it's on one side, that means people, regular folks thought it was more healthy. If it's on the other side, it means nutritionists thought it was more healthy. Some places there was agreement or alignment. Other places there were not. What did you what did you think was funny? Uh, well, so I laughed, first of all, because sushi, hummus, and wine are among things that at least 7 out of 10 nutritionists think are great, but fewer than 7 out of 10 people in the public think are great. There was actually a pretty big divide on sushi, um, so I'm I'm super pumped to hear that nutritionists are giving it the thumbs up, although different types of sushi are different. I mean – like tuna sushi, if you eat too much of that, there's mercury issues. So like right. probably not all sushi is created equal. The quinoa one, so quinoa had the biggest gap between nutritionists and the public. Almost 9 out of 10 nutritionists say, yay, quinoa. For the public, it's only 58%. I want to know how many people gave a don't know, refused answer on that one. Like, I mean, lots of people don't even really know how to 
pronounce quinoa. Right. And I'm not saying that in a judgy way. I went for a, a little while thinking it was quinoa. Yep. It you know, it looks, looks like, like it's spelled quinoa. It does. And so, yeah, the article says, like, it's, you know, it's just people aren't sure. These are newer foods to the American palate. They said very nicely. Um, but then the food that Americans thought uh, more healthy than nutritionists were things that you would expect, right? Granola bars, that was like the main no, dividing line. I, no more granola bars. The granola bars that I make <sighs> for my children are very healthy or they are probably healthier than the ones you buy in the store, I would think. Coconut oil, that was an interesting one. Uh, frozen yogurt, yeah, granola in general. Granola is really getting a bad shake. Slim Fast shake, speaking of shakes, that was something that the half – no, yeah, half of the public says, yes, that's healthy. <laughs> that's how it's marketed. I mean, and losing true. weight, doesn't that seem healthy? True. Orange juice and American cheese. The orange juice one, I was frankly surprised that 62% of nutritionists said it was healthy. Yeah. I say this as a Florida gal, love me some orange juice, but I have sort of been told in the last couple of years, like, you're. it's basically like soda. It's just all sugar. I mean, it's not – It's. It's not high fructose corn syrup necessarily, but it's just a, a shot of sugar straight to your system. And it's taking – it doesn't have the actual healthy part of the fruit, the fiber or whatever else. Supposedly. So I love orange juice, but I was actually surprised that as many nutritionists said that it was healthy as did. Yeah. I definitely – I do love quite a bit of coconut oil and granola bars. As I said, homemade, not just like anything that's a granola bar is good. You have to, you know, do it yourself I think. But – um. But the the, nutri- the the snooty nutritionist list definitely cl- more closely resembles what I'm eating these days. In fact, <laughs> even Beckett, I posted a picture of Beckett <laughs> eating hummus. He saw me making it and he's like, I don't know what that is, but I have to have some. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I interpreted it as shouts and screams and crawling over to me. So I gave him somebody just like literally – you know, smeared on his face in excitement. The hummus spa. Hummus yeah. spa day for Beckett. It does look like a full, like he's got a beauty mask on. Of coconut hummus. oil is one of those things too that I'm, I feel like I read that, oh, you should be using coconut oil instead of olive oil when you do certain types of cooking. And so I like marched myself down to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or wherever and I grabbed a little jar of coconut oil off the shelf and I got home and opened it and was like, this is a, just a brick. I, how do I get it out? You have to melt it I a know. little bit. But I felt like such a moron. I'm like, wait a minute. Is there something wrong with this? How do I put this in the pan? I don't understand. It's good for baking because it's high heat. So instead of like vegetable oil or corn oil or something like that, you know, I think there's some added benefits to coconut oil. I think olive oil, when it gets too hot, something not so good happens to it. Um, But it doesn't mean – this is probably what the nutritionists were thinking, that you should just eat spoonfuls of coconut oil as opposed to – that was my lunch shrimp. <laughs> Although at our local – now I'm going to really sound like I'm out there. At our local food co-op, they were actually holding out spoonfuls of coconut oil to try, I guess. I don't know. It's what like a I sample. What if I fry shrimp in coconut oil yes, co- and I have coconut shrimp tempura? Yes. And you can Is put it in sushi and you can put it in – you can wrap it. I can. Then you can put it in sushi and you can have a little shrimp tempura. And then you, you, you will win at life and have a nice glass of wine and then – the Trump apocalypse might not seem so bad. <laughs> so our key findings, you may think of the on-demand economy is just about 
taking a taxi to the airport or getting a sweet green salad to your office. But employers are thinking about this trend more carefully. Trump voters, just like Trump, are not your typical Republicans, particularly when it comes to race. If we don't talk about it openly now, we won't be ready for the post-Trumpocalypse era. Elections have consequences, according to insiders. Doesn't mean scoring White House tour tickets, but maybe a change in both the Senate and House. Uh, Hopefully you celebrated the 4th by being proud to be an American. And if not, hopefully you ate some wine, sushi, tofu, or hummus in true multi-culti American fashion. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters or individually at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis-Anderson. At www.thepolsters.com, we'll post our show notes with links to all of the polls and stories that we've talked about today. Find us on Facebook, again, where you can find our story about uh, women's summer grooming habits, among other things that we uh, find throughout the week that we think we may talk about on the show. Uh, Don't forget to give us a review. Again, even if it's a negative review, sometimes those amuse us, but we'd really rather you write a positive (laughs) one. Uh, And don't forget to tell your friends about the show as well. Um, In the coming weeks, uh, both Margie and I will be traveling to uh, various political conventions. It's about to be a real exciting time around here. So stay tuned. Tell your friends. We are just getting into the fun part of this election season. Thanks. Bye.